This is Educational Segregation in Spain, Episode 4, Season Finale, Solutions and a Final Twist. This is where we started, this is where we end in this final episode, with Sabine presenting an Euskera to the Basque Parliament, requesting that school segregation be taken as a discussion topic. At that point, the ILP had produced a report in school segregation, gathered signatures, and had secured the support of three major political parties, the Socialist Party and another two left-leaning parties like Bildu y Podemos. And that was enough for the initiative to be taken up by the parliament. But more important, the initiative advanced a series of concrete solutions to address school segregation. Let's hear those from Sabine. Can, can you tell me a little bit about these um, proposals that you have? Mm. Um, first of all, we just was to, uh, in defense of the, uh, to respect the law, the law, the educational law that nowadays is, uh, is in application in the past country, in, in the past country, that is, the private school who, uh, which receive public funding, they have to be free, free. They can ask for to pay money to the students. But this uh, nowadays is a problem because in many schools uh, they are asking to the people for to uh, to, to pay money. No? In the concertadas so, or in, or in concertadas, the... in concertadas, yeah, in concertadas, yeah, in concertadas. It's different in the private, in the private school for for sure uh, you pay and. But, but in the best country, there are, there, are, uh, there are very few private schools. Most of them are public or concertadas. And so one of the main ideas was to some mechanism to guarantee that uh, these, school, these, uh, these schools that, are, that receive public funding will be a public service and will be free. That was uh, one of the, the, first, the first idea. Uh, there was another another main idea that uh, was that all the schools uh, which receive uh, public funding they have to uh, integrate uh, the diversity of the students of of their area, yes, uh, neighbor or town or city, tal. So there was like an indice. There was like uh, some. Uh, with uh, public statistics, um, how many people, how many people uh, who are um, foreign uh, for, uh, immigrants, uh, students, immigrants, or, or lower class, uh, or they have some disabilities, some disabilities. So all uh, all the schools of that uh, that town have to include a proportion, considering the proportion in the reality in that town, but. Uh, they have to receive to, inc uh, to include uh, some student with this uh, 
So the, the, the school needs to basically, the school demographics needs to be representative of the neighborhood or, or geographical, the demographics of the geographical area. That was another important yeah. thing. It was the idea. The, yeah. the reality, the demographical reality has to uh, um, uh, be included in the, in the schools of the, who receive the public funds. So, so there was some uh, a couple of tactics with this concept, and, and, and yeah, that that was. Uh, and there was another uh, an, another initiative about uh, the, segre the the rules the rules of matriculation, but the main uh, uh, one was that in every town, in every neighborhood, will be a common a common office for matriculation. So imagine there are in the same town, there are a private, a concertada and a public, but they will have a common office to, to manage the, the matriculation, the school. The so the, the enrollment, so the enrollment of students. Yes. So we can summarize the measures that the ILP proposed to address school segregation in the Basque Country into four areas or, or four main items. The first one was that schoolas uh, concertadas needs to be con completely free. I mentioned that some of them, and Gonzalo was, was telling us that some of them have all these hidden fees for school buses, materials, uh, um, lunch, or, or even to be part of the cooperative in the case of Ficastola. So the, governor, the government needs to monitor that and there should be no fees, should be completely free to everybody, all escuelas concertadas. The second one is that schools that receive public findings, the demographic of these schools need to represent to the maximum extent possible the demographics of the neighborhood where they're at or of the area. Remember that we discussed before that Spain has very little uh, residential segregation, that most of the segregation happens in school. So the ILP was requesting to the government to create an index that uh, illustrates or, or gives a sense of the demographics of a neighborhood of an area and keeps school accountables to have a school enrollment that represents those demographics, all schools, concertadas and, and public schools. The last, the, one of the uh, other measures that they, uh, they, they advance was that every neighborhood should have, or area, should have a common office of enrollment of students. Nowadays, you can go to any uh, uh, concertada school and just enroll directly there. And they were asking that to have this centralized office that receives all the requests from parents on where to enroll their children. And that office will decide where the kids, where the children will go to what school in order to maximize the representations of demographics of each school so they can be more representative of their neighborhood and the area. And finally, they were asking uh, the, the Basque government that at the time to renew or, or, or start new concertadas, all these issues be taken into account, the issues of no fees and the issue of being representative of the neighborhood. So are these solutions in line with recommendations from prior research? Are there other solutions that we can implement to address school segregation in Spain or other places? Adrián Sancajo from the University of Glasgow gave us some ideas of what kind of policies we need to have in place to address school segregation.
So I think that we need to have a conversation to know which are the conditions that we want for the private schools to accomplish if they want to receive public funding. Uh, in the case of uh, like other kind of vouchers of PPs in education. So once we have this, and I will say that to, uh, to reduce school segregation, the important decision is to say, okay, you are going to receive public funding only if you enroll uh, population similar uh, to the area where you are located. If not, you are going not to receive, uh, you can operate, of course, as a private independent school, but you are not going to receive public funding. This will put the conditions to implement some policies trying to desegregate. So I think that the first issue is to have a conversation about uh, the role that uh, private schools have to play in the education system. And, of course, we can make some uh, changes in, in the way the families choose a school. In my opinion, uh, I think that the evidence shows that in some regions and in some cities, families have uh, too many options of choice, which makes it uh, very difficult to have some kind of educational planning control about that. Uh, I will say that we have to respect this because it's a historical issue that the right of families to to choose or at least to 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 express their, their preference in terms of schooling, but we can uh, limit much more uh, the options that they have to choose, providing them six, seven, eight options, but not twenty, twenty-five like in Barcelona, and this will help uh, educational planners to have a more controlled uh, environment to plan, the, the, for instance, uh, the, place, the, the reservation of uh, some school places for some uh, uh, particularly uh, groups of students and so on. So I will say that the two big issues for me are the role that the private sector is going to play in the next years in, in the education system, particularly in terms of the enrollment of uh, disadvantaged students, and the other issue that we can regulate uh, much better uh, how families choose a school. Tony Brasher, professor at the Autonomous University of Barcelona, expanded some of the ideas that Adrián Sancajo put forward. Uh, probably policies related to uh, funding per formula uh, as a way to stimulate uh, schools to enroll uh, more disadvantaged students. I think that this could be a very, a very important measure. And also um, having more centralized uh, admission school policies in the sense that now in, in Spain, uh, still families, they visit the school, they, they do the pre-enrollment uh, uh, through the school, and we know that there are a lot of informal practices happening in this interaction between the school and the families that can, can be used to, not to expel, but maybe to screen some families' profiles from some families, and these practices are more common in this PPP sector. So the centralization or the use of digital platforms in the, in the enrollment process would help to, to avoid the um, school segregation within the, 
the PPP, but definitely uh, a funding system that stimulates, uh, incentivizes, uh, especially private schools, but also public schools to enroll disadvantaged students uh, together with some uh, ratios for the distribution of the disadvantaged students among the schools. I think that this would be the, the, the right way to go to, to tackle the problem of a school segregation in our system. Tony Verscher also talked about reducing the amount of concertadas, reducing the amount of private public sector. Let's hear what he said. Well, I think that the first thing that I would do or that we should try to do is to rationalize the size of this PPP sector. Because I think that now we have as I was telling you before, it's not a very homogeneous sector. We have schools charging very high fees, schools charging very low fees, very similar or even lower than some public schools. Okay, So in a way, I think that in the two extremes of this network of private providers publicly funded, um, there are things that we can do. For instance, the, um, the more humble... Escuelas uh, concertadas, those that are charging very low fees because they need these fees for basic um, educational provision, but that they are very inclusive, they have a very public ethos, we should allow them to become part of the public network. And actually there are some regulations in, in Spain, some procedures to help these schools to integrate in the public sector. And many of them are applying actually because they, they feel like being part of the public sector currently uh, allows you to have your autonomous project because of the recent reforms, but at the same time uh, makes you less vulnerable to the uh, dynamics of the market. And we, there are some demographic changes that make these uh, private schools to suffer a lot, and if they are part of the public sector, then for them, uh, life would be much easier. Mm -hmm. So I think that there are a big number of schools that uh, now are in the private sector, they should be part of the public sector. And then there is another group of uh, PPP schools that are, for two reasons, maybe they should be part of the totally private sector. Uh, one of the reasons is that uh, they want to be very autonomous and they consider that Mm, autonomy is uh, a very important component of their, and not so much pedagogic autonomy, because I think that pedagogic autonomy is possible in the public sector, but I am thinking more about mm, autonomy in the management of resources, in the management of teachers, mm. uh, and so on, if they want to have this autonomy. And also, if they have educational projects that are very expensive, because we have to take into account that some of these PVP schools, they organize let's say, it changes uh, between Canada and Catalonia, or they have, as part of their curricular activities, they ride a horse, or yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. are very expensive. And if they want to do this, they cannot do it for free with, um, with public funding. So uh, it would be much more honest for everyone if they integrate in the um, private independent sector. Mm. So I think that the first thing that we should do is to try to 
rationalize and to reduce the dimension of this PPP sector, mm. because then it would be much easier to, to govern. Lucas Gortazar also talked about student quotas and saving seats, but also about the importance of working with all actors in the education sector, including the unions, the public sector, and concertadas. Best example probably would be thinking about student quotas. Uh, you know, in, in Belgium, which is probably the, the most similar education system in Europe to Spain, because you know there they have regional differences, regional dis, you know variation. Then there are uh, ethnic and language disparities, and then there are there is and also an existence of of a charter system, and then it's in Europe, and you know we have also the francophone influence in the culture of the education system. I think they're doing quite a good. Uh, try to experiment on on maximum and minimum quotas for disadvantaged children, you know, to control a bit. And the way you do this is you save some uh, seats uh, uh, at the beginning of the year, and you make sure those seats are filled by uh, disadvantaged students in every in every school. I think that would probably put more burden into concertadas' shoulders, just as I said, because of their own nature. But it would also put the burden in some state-owned schools who have, you know, who could do a lot in being more inclusive. And, and the other thing to me is you need to work out with the key actors all together. Otherwise, segregation will become a divisive issue and that it would be impossible to, to make progress. So it, it's better to work together with the unions um, and the charter, uh, charter schools at the same time. And, and you know, agree on common goals and try to see what is the common denominator of uh, to achieve those goals, rather than you know make a, make a divisive approach. Xavier Bonal also talked about measures to go beyond just the mere equitable distributions of students across sectors. I think segregation to 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 struggle and to tackle school segregation is it's very uh, inefficient if you just concentrate of distributing students. Uh, a very comprehensive policy against the school segregation it has to include compensatory policies. It has to include policies to improve the quality of schools, teacher training, and many other aspects. And I think now we have some interesting tools for uh, improving the distribution of students, but we have to do much more things than that. One of the things I think we have to, to work on is the question of, uh, of um, which teachers go to which schools. I think this is, uh, we have a system that is very bureaucratic in terms of uh, teacher allocation. Mm -hmm. So teachers uh, have the ability to ask for the schools they want to go on the basis of proximity or on the basis of their own convenience. They can stay there almost without evaluation for many years. So we need a system that really, uh, I always use this expression, although it might be a bit simplistic, which is let's put the best teachers in the worst schools. So we have to, to create the incentives and the mechanisms 
that uh, those schools that can be considered ghetto schools or with uh, high levels of social problems uh, have uh, the best uh, pedagogic teams uh, that can make the school attractive. It's not only a question of distributing, it's just not a question of resources. It's a question of putting good human capital mm -hmm. in those schools. And I think this is one of the, of the aspects that should be more and more worked. Another aspect in which I think we still have room for innovation, it's the idea of, of uh, thinking more about uh, the territory uh, uh, as a unit of analysis of education policy. Because I think we, education policy systems and policymakers use a lot uh, the system from the point of view of, of uh, their actors, which is fine. We have students, we have teachers, we allocate teachers in schools and so on. But to combat school segregation, you need to work much more in terms of territory. So how to intervene in this neighborhood, in this catchment area, to, uh, to improve the level of inclusion, to, to improve the level of, uh, of education quality in all schools. And, and there are resources that can be shared. There are teachers that can be shared. <laughs> mm -hmm. There are many aspects which which obliges to have a kind of paradigm change to think more about uh, a different unit of analysis. Mm. But this is highly difficult because that we have many resistances for that. You can have resistances from the teaching force itself, which thinks, well, uh, you allocate me to one school, you don't allocate me to one neighborhood, yeah. for instance, yeah, yeah, yeah. which uh, would be quite revolutionary. But but I think this is a room that would be highly interesting. And because it would increase, I think one of the problems of school segregation is always that I talk about the principle of incumbents. I don't know if this is an English word, incumbentia. How do you use these words? <laughs> Which means that uh, you really care about what happens in, in your neighborhood school. Okay? Uh, that means that you go you are, you are allocated to one school, and then if your school is fine, you don't care about what's happening in the other one. So if you create a system in which you have to care about your school and the neighborhood school and the other school in the neighborhood, then things would be probably much easier. So the solutions of the ILP were much aligned with the recommendations made by research. Uh, solutions such as uh, that private schools should not charge any fee, and that needs to be monitored more closely by the government, that all schools that receive public funding needs to integrate the diversity of the neighborhoods or the area, and in that sense, creating an index with public statistics on all schools on that area that the school needs to represent. And the researchers talked uh, related to that, to issues of student quotas. Also, that every neighborhood needs a common office of enrollment that I think the researchers also talked about so we can distribute students more evenly and that renewing concentrada, concertadas take into account uh, these issues at the time to, to uh, renew their contract. But considering also what we learned in this podcast, there were also some missed opportunities in this list of, of solutions advanced by the IP. One of them I think is the issue of language. For instance, in the Basque Country and other regions with languages such as uh, Galicia, Catalonia, um, or even in uh, Madrid with English. Also, 
language serve as uh, a way to segregate students in different tracks in different ways. So the issue of seg segregation based on language was a missed opportunity, I think, for the Bay here. Uh, and we need to acknowledge also that East in the Bath country, we have reviewed in this podcast a very sensitive issue due to the history of uh, Euskera. Another missed debate, I think, and an important one, was not to dichotomize the issue, but bring all actors together to discuss the role of both concertadas and public schools in segregations. I think Lucas Gortazar alludes to this. What is also missing, in, uh, not just from the ILP, but also from the recommendation from the researchers, are the voices of immigrant and low-income families in relationship to this issue. Is segregation a problem to them? Or the main problem is something else? I also think if they consider themselves as segregated schools. Those with an enrollment is mostly composed of immigrants from many different countries, like uh, countries from North Africa, Middle East, and Latin America, do they consider themselves segregated? Can we call a school segregated if it has such a diversity of students from out of Spain? It seems that those schools are much more diverse than those in concertadas or in other uh, schools in the public network. I asked this to Gonzalo and to Sabine, if they were the families from uh, uh, what they call Escuelas Segregadas were part of the de debate or were they part of the initiative. They, all, they told me that some got involved through their uh, uh, parent organ uh, associations in schools, um, but many not. They, they were not aware of it or just didn't have the time to, to engage with the issue. And some of them also uh, did not see segregation as um, they don't see themselves segregated. Actually, see themselves as a multiculturalistic and multilinguistic community, and they're very proud of it. So the voices within those communities are not homogeneous. So that also adds some complexity to the problem. So considering the ILP solutions and also the missed conversations for important debate, let's turn what happened when Sabine went to present to the parliament. Remember, they have the support of three political parties and that will have pushed the initiative forward. But the last minute, something happened. Yeah, at the beginning, during the campaign, there was the support of, of the three political parties, but one of them, the Socialist Party, uh, was and is in the past government. It's part of the past government. So when we arrived to arrive to the part to the parliament, uh, the other, the main party of the government, the nationalist Bas nationalist party, the PNV, uh, they considered that was not a good idea to to allow a debate. So mainly two arguments. In the case of the Popular Party, they say that it was an initiative against the private schools. But our initiative is not, it was not against the, the private school. It was about that all the school in the best country, all the schools received funding, uh, public funding. And we, we defended that all the schools with public defend, uh, funds have to manage to address the diversity of the, of the students. It was not against, against the, the, about, uh, in support the, the to, to close the, the, the private school, but that the private school have to 
receive a diversity of students. No? And what was one argument that was against this private uh, with public funding schools. Uh, and the other argument was like, um, was uh, this debate uh, will be addressed in the future in a general education educational law. Uh, four years uh, have passed. Uh, four years and we have passed, and and yet we haven't we haven't seen the, this law. So, uh, um, in our opinion, it was like an, an excuse, no? So the last minute was a dramatic turn. The Socialist Party, the PSOE, that originally supported ILP, decided to go against it. Why? Because the Socialist Party, the Socialist Party, it's in a bipartisan government with the PNUV, which is the National Basque Party, which is a center-right party, which is the most powerful party in the Basque country, has been in government for years since the Franco uh, left power. Uh, and the PNUV was against the initiative. And so the PSOE, the Socialist Party, at the last minute to keep this government equilibrium, decided to not support it. So the ILP did not have enough support to not even bring the debate to the parliament. The only ones supporting them were the two uh, left-leaning parties, Podemos and Bildu, and that was not enough. So why was the PNUV, the Nationalist Basque Party, against the initiative and asked the Socialist Party to do the same? Well, we need to go back to those misconversations that we discussed about the ILP. The PNV saw the initiative as something against Concertadas and therefore also against Icastolas, which are a big part of the Basque cultural agenda. We may say that, but maybe by not bringing all the actors to the table, like it was recommended, uh, the proposal was dead on arrival, particularly with some sensitive language politics that are going on in the Basque country. So were all this effort from the ILP in vain? Sabino and Gonzalo will disagree. They told me that before the ILP, the Basque government did not consider segregation nor significant nor a problem. And the ILP brought attention to the issue and placed it in the public debate. And I don't think they were wrong because this year there was a final twist to our story. The four major educational parties in the Basque country signed a pact an educational pact, an educational pact that will pave the way for future educational law. And in that pact, there is a heavy emphasis on addressing school segregation. Lucas Gortazar, tell us a little bit about this pact. Um, so the this new political pact that was subscribed by uh, the four major political parties at the end of March and beginning of April this year uh, represents a major milestone in terms of um, how to frame and shape the future debate of education policy in the Basque country um, for various reasons. First, um, it incorporates a upfront uh, and in a way which nobody would have never imagined six months ago that the goal of reducing school segregation uh, uh, 
with ambitious set of measures. The set of measures that the that has been passed uh, are basically uh, the measures that uh, the um, popular legislative uh, initiative uh, presented back in 2018 uh, that uh, the NGO Save the Children has been promoting uh, consistently, not only in the Basque Country, but in the, in the whole of Spain, um, and that other experts uh, have been you know, promoting. No? Uh, it's true that the, the public-private network remains probably as it is, uh, and uh, of course that opens uh, that some actors are reluctant to actors, you know, in, in the left and in some unions are reluctant to accept this this trade, this political trade, as a good one uh, because it may, you know, keep the historic path uh, may just keep things as they have been. Uh, towards the future, but it's also true that uh, uh, the main political party, the Basque Nationalist Party, has accepted uh, to talk um, in the terms of reducing school segregation in a way uh, which was inimaginable six months ago. And this, of course, represents an avenue for action in the future, which was not uh, uh, in the table a while ago. Lucas also talked about how ambitious this pact is, but also offers some words of caution. They are ambitious in how uh, the supply of, of schools and the classes are going to be made. Uh, this in, there, is, there are explicit mentions to avoid the over over offer of seats, which is an issue for uh, the Basque country in the context of uh, rapid decline of school population and the extra offer of seats uh, in all schools is a source of um, of school segregation. Uh, we're not in a world where demand matters, but it's about world about supply. Demand doesn't matter because there is not much over demand across schools because schools are there, but students are decreasing. That's a key topic. Um, uh, other key, key topics is that uh, schools, and more specifically private uh, managed schools or charter schools, uh, both religious and you know cooperatives, will have to uh, have uh, specific uh, goals and achievements in terms of inclusion of disadvantaged and immigrant and, and uh, uh, special education children beforehand receiving the, fin the financing and beforehand the, fi the financing measures. And this changes a little bit the structure of incentives. Uh, and it's not the same to receive the money and then to you know, comply with certain goals than do this the other way around. And that, I think, is also, is also quite important. Um, there are other aspects, such as the decentralization towards municipal uh, education offices to you know, control the admission and, and supply process, but, as, but also to empower local actors to, towards um, better school management and participation and cooperation uh, that will generate good synergies. Um, and uh, there's also commitment to, to devote additional financing to, you know, to do a properly inclusive education model. So um, in summary, the, the measures are overall positive, 
this is just a political pact. It has to be um, further developed into a law. Uh, it's just a paper of commitment, but we need a law that will be passed mostly, most likely in the next 12 months in the Basque Parliament. But also you need um, uh, education actors to subscribe this political pact and, and move it to a social uh, pact uh, around education. I think the process here was more of a top-down process. So, you know, parties agreed on a program and now you need the school community to agree on that program. That has uh, restrained some legitimacy over the process, but at the same time, uh, the political pact is meaningful because it uh, uh, implies 90% of vote in the parliament uh, to support the pact, whereas the previous education law was based on a pact uh, subscribing 1992 um, with, with, with a majority of, of support, but not as high as 90%. So there are trade-offs here, you know, there's, there's a trade-off of, you know, political uh, willingness versus legitimacy and, and empowerment of actors. I think that's a big challenge towards the future and towards to make this pact uh, a law and then this law to make it effective into, uh, you know, policies and practices at schools in everyday practice. I think that that's a challenge. But overall, uh, we're clearly better than when we were six months ago, where there was no prospect to, you know, introduce uh, school segregation as a key element of this public discussion and where the failure of the ILP, the, uh, the popular uh, initiative uh, that went to the parliament four years ago, uh, failed and, and didn't achieve much of its goal. So uh, it's about how you see the, the process, either you see the, the glass you know, half empty or, or uh, half full, but uh, in summary, there are clear, clearly reasons to be to be happy. But it's, of course, it's not clear whether these reasons will materialize, will you know, imply a more cohesion school system and uh, more diverse uh, schools in the future. And that remains what needs to be done for for the coming years. So this pact used many of the ideas and initiatives from the ILP from a few years ago. So, of course, we needed to talk to Sabine about this. Hey, it's Sabine. Good to see you again. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah it's, it's good to see you again. Yeah. Yeah, great to see you. You know, I'm contacting you because I saw that in the newspapers or in the news that there is this new educational pact that they may be addressing the um, issues that you were trying to tackle with the legislative initiative uh, a few years ago. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, I think that uh, with the perspective of the last uh, years, uh, we can consider that a few years ago there was, the, there was a general attitude of negation of, of the problem. And, and now in this uh, disagreement, in this uh, uh, political agreement, uh, the, the segregation has a, a central, a central role of the of the agreement. So, so well, we, I think in, from that point of view, we can consider positively. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But did you um, did you consider that the pact went uh, far enough? Well. Uh, we will see. 
I mean, I mean, considering that we, we come from the negation of the problem, uh, I mean, the centrality of the segregation in this pact uh, is positive. And some of the, uh, some of the ideas and, and about the, the orientations, the regulations uh, are positive. But uh, I think that the, the crucial moment will be the, in the implementation. Do you see any of the proposals from the legislative initiative reflected in these new policies that may happen? Yeah, yeah, we can consider that most of them are uh, basically about the um, about uh, the gratuity. No, the yeah. free. Yes. Yeah, yeah the free free schools that the schools should be free. The, about the yeah the free the free school without charge. About there are some uh, yeah some parts of the of the pact about uh, about this and uh, uh, auditory auditory mechanisms to control it. Um, yeah, we can consider um, uh, that from about the, this point about the, that the school should be should be free. And not yes, uh, uh, there is a, this part is in the in the in the pact. Two, I mean we can. Uh, I mean in the, in the pact uh, there are some some uh, yeah some yeah some parts of the pact. Uh, they speak about uh, the centrality of equity to receive uh, public money. And to consider that the, all the the all the all the schools have to guarantee uh, equity uh, to to receive to receive money. No? So this is was this was another idea, another central central idea of the of our, of our initiative. And and uh, there is. Uh, there is a mention to the local um, to the local office in relation with the with the yeah enrollments right uh, with the enrollment yeah with the enrollment related with enrollment and yeah, the local office of this but it's not clear about the function because our idea uh, that was that the the office uh, were uh, the only way to for the enrollment and it's not clear in the pact about uh, there there will be uh, there will be this uh, this kind of office but it's not clear if we, they are going to centralize the enrollment of of each uh, town no of each uh, city yeah. uh, and from the circles that you were in where are the main critiques to this pact i mean um, first of all i think that uh, many people and there are good ideas for it uh, they don't believe they don't trust. No, they don't. They don't trust that uh, that uh, some good ideas uh, that are in the in the path will be implemented. I think, in a sense, I think that this this is the 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 main critic. No? Uh, uh, it's true that other sectors that are very critical with the pact they consider that. Um, the private schools which receive uh, public fundings, they are not. They can be changed, reformed. 
So they consider that the only way is to extend uh, uh, and to finance only the public school. And in that sense, in that sense, this is not the this is not the idea of the pact. Mm -hmm. The pact uh, the pact have some reference about the centrality of the public school, but they but they don't change the reality of that the, the the half of the of the school system is uh, is uh, is private schools uh, which receive uh, public money. Mm -hmm. So they're thinking basically that whatever the pact or the implementation is going to be concertadas will find the way somehow to continue to exist in the way they do. Well, some people think that, and the other critic is not. Uh, it's about it's previous. It's something previous uh, that is they don't trust the real the real uh, intention of the of the politician and the government, the patient administration, to implement the ideas which are. Uh, uh, right turn in the in the in the pact, so it's different. And so some of the critics is that in the sense that the concertadas are, are not going to, uh, yeah, they, they have, as you have said, no, uh, they are going to try and they are they are, they are going to, to find they will find a way to, to continue uh, making uh, and playing in the same way. But other people think that. Uh, that uh, something previous that there is not a, a real uh, policy to uh, intention or implement uh, in the reality the ideas that uh, of the pact. So the pact is a milestone. It is the first time that four major political parties in the past government agreed in paper to tackle school segregation. There are many measures and ideas in the pact that both Lucas and Sabine thought they would be useful. Many of them were proposed by the ILP a few years ago. But it's just a pact. And people are skeptical and are waiting to see how this is going to be implemented and what's going to be the extent of community participation and the participation of different social actors and their opportunities to shape the way the law will be written and implemented. Let me say also that one of the PAC's primary goal is to reinforce the use of Euskera's primary language of instruction in a multilinguistic school landscape. The goal is that students will be learning Spanish and English, but Euskera would be the primary vehicle for learning. And let's remember that Euskera contributed to a certain extent to segregate students. So how is all this going to play out? All these efforts to deal with school segregation at the same time of strengthen the use of the SCARA, we don't know yet. Nevertheless, the work of the ILP from a few years ago ended up bearing fruit. Not the same fruit that the ILP expected, but a fruit nonetheless. And this is where our podcast ends. The goal of this podcast was not to provide concrete solutions to address school segregation in the U.S. That is far beyond the scope of this podcast. But the goal was to present the case from another country, from another area, hoping that a conversation that is going on in a different place will spark a new conversation in the U.S. or maybe expand or challenge all conversations and discussions. And at the end, I hope it helps us to move towards a more just public education.
I want to thank all the people that make this podcast possible. Thanks to Sabine Subiri, Gonzalo Larrusea, Pablo Rey, Lucas Gortazar, Adrián Sancajo, Tony Verger, and Xavier Bonal. And of course, a big thanks to the Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Centers for making this podcast possible. That's it. Until next time. This resource was brought to you by the Midwestern Plains Equity Assistance Center. To find out about other Midwestern Plains Equity Assistance Center resources, visit our website at www.greatlakesequity.org. To subscribe to our publications, click on the subscribe to our publications link located on the Midwestern Plains Equity Assistance Center website. The Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center, a project of the Great Lakes Equity Center, is funded by the United States Department of Education to provide technical assistance, resources, and professional learning opportunities related to equity, civil rights, and systemic school reform throughout our 13-state region. The contents of this presentation were developed under a grant from the U.S. Department of Education. However, these contents do not necessarily represent the policy of the U.S. Department of Education, and you should not assume endorsement by the federal government. This product and its contents are provided to educators, local and state education agencies, and or non-commercial entities for educational training purposes only. No part of this recording may be reproduced or utilized in any form or in any means, electronic or mechanical, including recording or by any information storage and retrieval system without permission in writing from the Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center. Finally, the Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center would like to thank the Indiana University School of Education Indianapolis at IEPY, as well as Executive Director Dr. Kathleen Quintorias, Director of Operations Dr. Sina Skelton, and Associate Director Dr. Tiffany Kaiser for their leadership and guidance in the development of all tools and resources to support the region.